the scripture reading today is it's going to be Romans uh, 1, 16 to 25. Here it is. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they, for although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luke. That was, um, yeah, a really popular, I guess the first part of that scripture is a really popular part of Romans. Lots of people would have heard that if you've been in church for a while. Um, but yeah, firstly, before I get into it, I um, want to thank Ellen for sharing a part of your story tonight. Um, I love hearing people's stories. It's just, we should just, you know, do that a lot more often. It's great. I love it. Um, but yeah, also a little um, plug for prayer. If anyone wants to come along to our prayer meetings, Thursday evening this week, Wednesday morning this week. Um, yeah, so I'm um, going to continue into the book of Romans uh, as we've looked at through Paul the Apostle's uh, witness of what Christ-formed community um, might look like and should look like, I should say. The book of Romans is more than a deep theological essay of which many read it as today, as Joel's gone about in the last few months and in our dinner churches as we've discussed it. But Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul addressing a group of house churches which is, you know, what we're about, uh, in Rome with the challenge of acting as a Christ-formed community. Paul, Paul presents a lived theology, focusing on peace in the empire, a radical alternative to what was going on in the time. We've been exploring the meaning of Romans and this lived theology as we've heard people's stories, um, and I think that's really important in understanding what we're reading. So now we jump to Romans 1. Uh, so we've, if you haven't listened along, we've been going backwards through Romans. And we last week at Dinner Church, we're at Romans 10. And now we're jumping to the start, and we're going to work this way. Um, so for all those people that that messes with, you're welcome. Um, I kind of love it. Uh, but yeah, this passage, it starts, so as you can see, we haven't started from Romans 1, verse 1. 
the start of this chapter, uh, there's a greeting from Paul um, as he's greeting the church in Rome. You can read that in your own time. Uh, and he's explaining like his longing to be with the people in Rome, that he wants to go and visit them. He wants to be mutually encouraged by them and him to them. Uh, and so you're welcome to read that um, And as he greets the church there. And so we pick up in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, which is the Israelites, and also to the Greek, which are the outsiders of faith. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, A little while ago, well, it's a long while ago now, Uh, We did a youth conference back in the day, um, and this was the key scripture, and I couldn't get it out of my head when we were prepping, just this word unashamed on your back, Um, but it was broken up into letters, and we all just called it (laughs) unashamed instead. It was strange, but uh, I think as a youth pastor, um, it was, there was like a zeal in what we did, and a beauty of the unfiltered gospel of just radically following Christ, of radically believing what he said uh, and following him. And yes, many mistakes as young people um, are made as we follow Christ, just like we as adults do. Uh, But I couldn't help but um, kind of relive some of those moments as I was reading this scripture. Um, But yeah, we're not just talking about being unashamed of the gospel. There's so much more in this passage, um, and not just the words I've written, but the ones Luke's written out already. Written, read out, read out already. Um, But what I think Paul is attempting to do here is remind the Christians in Rome, in all the different house churches that this would have been read out to, is that there is power that lies in the gospel to save us. That's how he kind of starts, and this is the punchline. This is the start of this epic chapter here, is there is power in the gospel to save us. And that's where I want to start. There's power in the gospel to save us, to save our neighbours, to save our community, to save the whole of Australia, to anybody that God wants to continually transfer, and to anybody who is willing to surrender their lives to him. There is power in the gospel to save us. And I think there's something of hope to hold on to with that. And sometimes we lose sight of it. And sometimes we get a bit comfortable in what we know. And sometimes we try and work out our salvation in our own knowledge and in our own plans and through our own methods. But there is power that lies in the very gospel of Christ to save us. Paul here isn't just trying to get us to set our theology right. But he is reminding us of what we have lost sight of, potentially, of what the the Church of Rome possibly might be getting mixed up. And I recently read an analogy that I related to so very much that I decided to share a little bit of my own version of it. But there was once this time where I lost my glasses while swimming. Uh, And some of you might be thinking, why would you wear your glasses whilst you're swimming? Uh, Well, for anyone that doesn't know me very well, I can't see very well without my glasses at all. Um, There's been multiple occasions that that I could tell of you right now of where I've lost my glasses or something's happened where my glasses weren't accessible to me. Um, I sometimes joke about 
being like one lens thickness away from being legally blind. And when they put my lenses into my glasses, often you can't really see them, I'll show you later, the thickness of my lens is too big for the frames that I have all the time. And they say, oh, we can shave it down and we can make a thinner one, but it always sticks out um, of my glasses. And so anytime I've also tried to wear contacts, they um, often irritate my eyes or fall out. And so, you know, I'm swimming in this situation and I've lost my glasses. This was a few years back when we were traveling to the Pilbara uh, through, uh, for one of our missions trips into the desert. Uh, and we were on our way home from, I think it's a week that we were there. Uh, and I had my 18-month-old Sela with me, with us, uh, and we were on the way home detouring through Karajini National Park, which if you've been there, it is stunning, it's beautiful, it's very exciting to go and visit for the first time, which was me in this instance. Uh, I had also an 18-month-old Sela who had somehow picked up conjunctivitis, uh, so her eyes were deliciously mucousy, uh, and if you've ever been a Karajini uh, around whatever time we were there, there is gazillion flies. So just picture me uh, with an 18-month-old hiking up um, slated rock gorges kind of to get to this beautiful spot that we were going for for a swim. And so I've got a picture here. This is us walking up some random gorge. I think it was Fernpool is where we were. Uh, Joel, thankfully, was carrying Sela, and there's me with all of our supplies. Uh, and so we're walking up these rocks, rock-like kind of cliffs, to get to where we wanted to go and swim. Uh, and I think, I think it was called Fernpool. Um, and so, as you can see, there's this beautiful um, oasis in the middle of this hot desert uh, called Karajini. Um, and there's a waterfall on the other side, and this is a man-made platform, as you can see, and we were just kind of swimming back and forth. And so because we had Sela and she was all conjunctivitis-y, uh, one of us was staying back with her. She hadn't quite figured out how to walk yet, so someone had to be with her at all times, obviously, in front of a body of water. Um, and so Joel and I would take turns, and maybe somebody from our group that was with us would take turns and sit on the platform um, and watch as the group went back and forth. And so I love swimming in nature, though without glasses, it's kind of like going to the beach where if you are like me and you don't have very good eyesight, any shadow moving around you, you ultimately just think it's a shark or a stingray, not seaweed or like some random thing in the ocean. Um, and so going into the murky waters of this pool, um, it, I just, I guess I just did it. Um, but there came to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I only did it a little bit and then I came back um, and sat with Sela on the platform. Uh, and I grabbed my glasses because it was with all of our belongings. So I wasn't swimming in the water with my glasses. They were with uh, the belongings. And so I came back to the platform where somebody had been watching Sela, picked her up, put her on my lap. Um, and like a great mum that I was, decided to sit on the edge of the platform with her so she could put her feet in the water and, you know, she'd had a hard day, conjunctivitis. I'd had a hard day as well. Uh, and so we were enjoying the beautiful surroundings um, of Karajini. Uh, and then Sela, don't know what she was thinking, don't know what she was doing, but she pointed to the water. And I just thought, oh, I'm just going to go and see what she's looking at. So I lean over the edge and my glasses, which are still wet, slip off my face and into the water. And I'm sitting here on the edge with my feet dangling in the water. My instant reaction 
in that moment was just to scream. Uh, and <laughs> so I did, I yelled. Um, and I couldn't jump in after them because Sela was on my lap. And I couldn't put her there and go and search for them because she was not able to swim herself. Uh, and couldn't shoo the flies away from her eyes by herself. Um, and so I'm sitting there yelling, and, and people are coming to my rescue. And I'm just helpless. I'm just watching as my only ability to see for the rest of the trip is sinking down <laughs> into the murky water. And so Joel and a couple of others come swimming over. Uh, and as I'm explaining what's going on, a couple of them, just, they just duck under the water. They just go for it. And they're going up and down, up and down, up and down. And here I am sitting in this national park with this situation of a toddler next to me, <laughs> already thinking, oh my goodness, this is just, what have I done? Um, and two more days left of the trip to get home. I didn't pack any spare sun, um, glasses. I didn't have any sunnies on me that were prescription. And for anybody that has bad eyesight would know... Um, this is a tricky situation to be in. Um, if anyone that has great eyesight, maybe just imagine your phone just sinking into the, the water or something. Um, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't really know what to do from here. So if you lose a pencil, you don't need a pencil to find your pencil, right? If you lose your keys in the side of the couch, you don't need your keys to get your, the keys out. You just get your hand and go and fish around for it. But I had lost my glasses, and in order to find my glasses, if you're like me, I needed my glasses <laughs> to see where my glasses were. Uh, and I needed them really quick because they were sinking to the bottom of this river or lake or whatever that is. Um, and I think when I was thinking of this story earlier this week, I thought about the fact that the fact the fact that when we lose our faith, we need our faith to find our faith again. And so, just like when we lose our ability to see, we need sight to find that thing again. We too need faith to get faith. <laughs> I needed what I'd lost to find what I'd lost, and I needed them fast. But I think much worse if it's eternal. Did you know that you need faith to see spiritual things? That you need, sorry, that you, did you know that most of the world is invisible unless you have faith? Did you know that without faith we are spiritually blind? Did you know that without faith, the gospel is blurry and confusing and outright offensive to people? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. By faith we can see what we can't otherwise see. So it could be said that we need faith to see faith. But how do we get it? In Romans 10, which we looked at last week at Dinner Church, says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. Faith is a gift from Christ to us, and we need it in order to see it. We need that gift from Christ in order to see 
the plans he has for us, in order to see the kingdom that he speaks about. We need faith in us in order to see that. Otherwise, we're just seeing this earthly reality around us. And so faith is the very power behind the gospel, the evidence of Christ at home in our hearts and the Spirit's empowerment for those who believe. And so when I think about what I need my glasses to do every day, to tell the difference between a stop sign and a giveaway sign, <laughs> sadly enough, <laughs> to see the emotion in my toddler's face as I'm picking her up from daycare from far away, to see the vast amount of stars in the sky when you go camping, because I can't see any of them without my glasses, to weigh up all the options on a menu whilst you're waiting in line really quickly because the line's getting quicker and you're getting to the front and you still don't know what you want to eat, but you've got to look at all the options. <laughs> uh, and this week, to find the smallest shard of glass in my four-year-old's toe while she's screaming, ah, it hurts so much. In those moments, I need my glasses to be able to see those situations, to be able to see those beautiful things, to be able to fix a problem. And so when I think about how important my glasses are to me, what they allow me to see, what they empower me to do, it seems ludicrous that I might just leave them at home and just go about my day. <laughs> it seems silly that I might decide out of my own pride, I'm just gonna hand them back to the optometrist and just do it myself. <laughs> Sometimes I've thought about doing this for a day and just see how far I can get. <laughs> but I think when we think about it eternally and when we think about it in relation to our salvation, we leave, the day, we leave for the day from our house without thinking about faith. We weigh up major decisions in our life without looking at it through the lens of faith. We choose new jobs, new career paths, start having children, figure out when we're going to stop having children, <laughs> without considering first whether it aligns with faith. We parent our children or offer advice to people or make decisions in our life on a daily basis, sometimes without asking for help from the Holy Spirit. We make financial decisions or spend all that we have on whatever we want with our own desires without any ounce of faith at times. And we try and work out our salvation without faith in the power of the gospel. Here in Romans 1, Paul speaks of what the Israelites chose to do, the people of God. But he's also warning us of what can become of our faith when we knowingly or unknowingly lose touch of the reality that is the power of the gospel to save us. Paul explains in verse 24 and 25, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creatures rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And I don't know about you, but there's many moments in my life, unfortunately, where the angst about an unfairness of a situation can make me act in a way where I don't trust God's faithfulness. Or the stubbornness of my own desires in the moment cause me to ignore the Holy Spirit's gentle warnings. 
that in fear I act in defense. Bless you, in Jesus' name. Yeah, in fear of my own reputation or what other people might think of me, I get defensive rather than letting go other people's opinions and concerns. In foolishness, I hold on to opinions above that of others. And in stress, I make myself busy and think I have no time for being with God. (laughs) But I'm also just not talking about forgetting God in our day. And we see it so blatantly here in Romans. There's an epidemic of people willingly just giving up their faith entirely around us. We see it in people deconstructing their faith to the point that they're leaving their faith. We see people so fixated on their sexual identity that they just refuse to lay anything before God. In polarising political views, people's theology becomes unstable. And people are leaving the church because of offence but then also just losing their faith as a result. And I know personally there is so much coming against us in, a, in this world, in what we see on our screens, on what we digest on a regular basis. There's deceit going along everywhere around us. And so whatever we lose in life, we can't lose our faith. Because like my glasses, we need what we've lost to find what we've lost. When we unknowingly exchange faith for a lie, our eyes become blind to the reality of the power of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's a small little phrase, but I think it gives us grounding for how we're to walk. So, there I was, sitting on the edge of a platform, in the middle of a gorge, with my toddler, back to this moment, Joel and another friend, bopping up and down like ducks, (laughs) trying to grab for something they couldn't see themselves, in murky water, and random tourists are just coming together in a little huddle to watch what the commotion is going on over here. And there I am just sitting there like, I I don't know what's going to happen. And it felt like a long time because more and more people were just gathering around us and then also leaving and realising there's no hope for them. So I'm just going to keep going and enjoying uh, my sightseeing. Um, And it was in one of those bobbing up and down that uh, Joel comes out of the water and launches almost like Free Willy in the movie with his arms straight to the heavens and he yells, like, yeah, or something crazy. And I'm sitting there in disbelief, like, oh my goodness, like, is this my glasses? And it's not until he comes down that he has my glasses. And Joel's the hero of the day in this moment. And everybody's cheering and everything's, everything's just, you know, the, the elation in the air. And all these tourists are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's amazing. Um, and so here I am, Isaiah, do you have that last picture? And you can't really see it, but I thought I'd just put a photo up. This is me after. And you can see really, like there's a fly on, on a sealer's eye if you look really close as well. 
But I'm smiling really big there because they found my glasses and we just bumped into a tourist there that said they could hear us from the other side of the gorge screaming and yelling. Um, so, yeah, I think in this moment we erupted in this beautiful cheer together and we had beaming smiles and for the rest of the day we were just in disbelief about what had happened and we just kept talking about it to each other like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. Um, and I just held on to my glasses <laughs> for dear life for the rest of the trip. Um, but more importantly than all of the, that excitement, I could see again. And that's what we were celebrating. We, were ce- we weren't celebrating the fact that like, just that we had found this treasure that was really important to us, but we were celebrating the fact that I could then go on for the next couple of days and see. <laughs> and it wouldn't be the worst situation at the end of our trip. Um, and I think about this story every now and then, and it just brings a smile to my face. Um, but like I was saying, it just triggered something for me um, the last couple of weeks when I'm thinking about our faith. That salvation is a pure gift from God, that we didn't earn, that we were sitting on the edge of the platform trying to get by life, trying to just in disbelief like, look at our situation and go, well, like that, I can't do anything about this. It's out of my hands. I'm in this tricky moment. Um, And I'm not going to link, like, Joel being the saviour of the world or anything. Um, But, like, the gift of being able to see again for myself was just brought so much joy and so much excitement. And in the same way, our salvation and the power of God at work in our lives to bring about the gospel in our lives... It does. We can't help but see God at work and celebrate him and worship him and rejoice and tell the story around us and and share about the goodness of God to those around us. It's not something we can earn to acquire with more knowledge, this kind of power that Paul is talking about. It's not something that is just passed down to us through our religious experience or through our family, although they can share it with us. Sure, we may have been searching for it and pursuing God for it, but ultimately salvation is a gift of grace from God himself through his spirit at work in us to bring a saving to our soul. And sometimes we lose sight of that. And sometimes I think the early church lost sight of that as we see with Paul talking to them in his letter. But Jesus speaks about salvation often as our eyes being opened the scales from our eyes falling off, the veil being lifted. In like my situation, the blind having sight. And that's why I think it's so powerful that Jesus himself walked around and healed people. It was evidence that God was in him. It was evidence that he was God. It was evidence that he was from God. It was evidence that there was power in him because he was God. And I think anybody that has been healed, anybody that has been set free, anybody who has found something that was lost before, there is a beautiful celebration that goes on in us. But he is clear here, as Jesus is clear in all of these stories of him healing people, that it is because of their faith that it was possible. So what is faith then? This word faith. And what does it mean to have faith? Like Joel shared in a few of his messages, sometimes we can think of faith as some mental ascent, that we muster up this faith inside of us. We come to a prayer meeting or we come to a situation and we're trying to muster up this faith for this situation. 
And sometimes I see it like that on a regular basis. That if we have enough belief in something to change, maybe that might please God enough for him to listen to us. And there is still an element of faith that there is a mystery behind it. That yes, it does require us to actively pursue God. And yes, it does require us to not just see the challenges around us, but to pursue him and honour him. But faith is also a personal trust and commitment and surrender to that person that we are putting our faith in. A complete reliance. And so when we, t- we talk about having faith in people around us, we have faith in them because we have a personal relationship with them that has demonstrated why we can put all of our trust in that person. When I leave my children at Beck's house, I'm putting my trust in her and in Dan that I know they're going to look after. I know they're not just going to look after her, they're going to love her. They're going to love them, I should say. I've got two children. <laughs> that's okay (laughs) but when we put our faith in God we're not just like mustering up all this I believe in you God we're putting our trust there is a peace that comes as we commit to that thing to God there's a surrender that occurs there's a complete reliance on Jesus that it is in him we put our trust in it is him that we put our faith in because he is who he says he is because who Paul says he is, because of what we see in the Gospels, as we put our trust and our faith in God, it's not just mustering that up. And so Romans 10, 6, 13 says, the word is near you. We read this last week. In your mouth and in your heart, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Having faith in God isn't just a prayer that secures our place in heaven when we die. Hopefully helping us maybe, you know, do all these good things and do all these rules that the Bible talks about. Potentially, but faith is living with our mind and our hearts, constantly trusting God, committing to Him our situations, surrendering our will to Him, complete reliance on who He says He was and is. And so, every day, back to reality, every day we're faced with life and death around us, not life and death situations necessarily. Like, oh, you would never know. Like, we just don't know. <laughs> Sometimes, does anyone ever think about that? Like, five minutes, if I left five minutes later, what would happen to me? I don't know. Don't worry. I, I digress. Every day we face the life of Christ or the death of darkness around us. We walk around witnessing it going on. We might not always notice it because we've left the house without engaging our trust and our faith in God. We've left with a hundred things on our to-do list and errands that need to be run or a job that needs to be done. But every day we're faced with these situations around us. God's kingdom at work and darkness at work alongside it. But can we see Christ? Can we see his power at work? Can we place our faith in him at work in situations? And not just situations, in our hearts and in our minds. 
in what we perceive and what we are going through and what we internalize. God is still present and he is still at work, but can we see him? Romans 1, 19 to 20. And I'll finish, I think, with this. <laughs> for, what we, sorry, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now, Paul is talking about the people of God up until this point. He's talking about how they had no excuse. They knew about the attributes of God. They'd seen him at work before. They'd seen his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. Paul says it has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and in the things that have been made, so the things we see still today in our world, which is the same world. They are without excuse. And one thing that I'm grappling with a lot at the moment is many people claim that they can't be a God if there's so much pain and suffering. And they leave faith. Not just for this reason. Maybe they get offended. Maybe they can't grapple enough with a certain theology, a certain understanding of who God is. But my personal story, I think, is a testament to the fact that though there is still pain and, and hardship, though there is still things that go wrong in our lives and we don't know how to weigh it up anymore and we don't know what to do with it, God is still present. He's still with us. And yes, this scripture, Paul says in, his, in this scripture that God gives people over to their lustful desires. He gives people over to what they're choosing to do instead. But it doesn't say that he fully flees them. It doesn't say that he gives up on them. He allows them to follow what they're fixated on. He allows us to continue in our sin. But God is still present. He still shines light through the fractures of our existence and pierces the darkness that is in there. And so I think as a church, we've got to cling to our faith. Hold on to it for dear life. Not let go of it because it doesn't equal what we think it should be. Sela, my four-year-old daughter, is a seeker of beautiful things and constantly tries to pull me into what she has discovered. If you've ever watched a kid on a regular basis, you'll see them doing this, walking down the street and then just getting distracted by a flower or the shape of a cloud or whatever else. And sometimes I'm all about it. I'm like... Show me, Sela. Let's get down here and let's look at this thing. Let's have a look at this caterpillar that's crawling or a slug that's crawling or whatever it is. And there's a beauty and a wonder and a fixation on what she has found, that she wants to draw me to that thing. Sometimes I'm all about it 
but other days I hear myself regularly say, just a second, in a minute I'll be there in a second when she's calling to me. I've just got to do this one thing and then I'll just, I'll be with you. And lately I've been hearing myself say that to many people in my life, or mostly my children. And I think about how much we do that with God. That he indicates something of his incredible power to us. And we're like, yeah, that's good. Like, make a mental note to read that scripture later. (laughs) Or we hear a worship song and it does something to us and we're like, yeah, I really should listen to that later. Or we're just going about our day and he prompts something for us to do or just highlights something. Or we're walking in nature and it's like, oh, it would just be really nice to just sit here and enjoy this moment. But I've just got to go and rush and do these things. And so just like this with Sila, how much are those moments go on by where God just gives us over to whatever we're going through, whatever we're doing, whatever fixated thing we've got in our mind and what's on our list, when instead we could be joining with him and just worshipping him, just being with him, just putting our trust in him. And so what is Christ-formed community? I think it's regular spaces where, yes, we are quiet before him, allowing him to correct our sight where we're blind. Give us vision and hope and purpose for what we're doing, allowing people in our community to challenge our ideas of God, the worldviews that we're carrying around. But it's also in our ability to let go of waiting for greener pastures, waiting for things to change, And to choose to commune with God in the midst of our busy lives. To create peaceful gardens on top of beautiful skyscrapers of busyness. To carve out quiet deserts where we're truly alone with ourselves in amidst our to-do lists. To lay on our backs and see the starry sky in protest of our important deadlines to let God shape our imagination, to bring forth thanksgiving and honour to him on a regular basis. To put the kettle on and call a friend over, even if our piles of laundry are high. To commit to being consistent in our availability to others in church community. To be honest in conversations, allowing our flaws and our doubts to bubble over to allow our misunderstandings and offences to be known by God and by others in order for the power of the gospel to save us. And so as I close tonight, I just want you to think, are there areas in your life where the shame of your reality is blocking you from accepting the power of the gospel to save you, to restore you, to heal you and to redeem you?